Welcome to the Future of Money podcast by the Digital Euro Association. In this podcast, you will learn about the disruption of technology in the monetary and financial system. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the episode. everybody and welcome to another episode of the DEA podcast, the podcast by the Digital Euro Association, a European think tank around digital money. My name is Jonas Gross and I am the chairman of the Digital Euro Association. And today I'm really thrilled to be joined by my two colleagues, Konrad Kraft, who is executive director of the DEA and Manuel Klein, founding member of the DEA. Welcome, Konrad and Manuel. Thank you, Jonas. Great to be here. Hi, Jonas. Thank you. Happy to be on the on the show. Thank you very much for, for joining me today. And this is kind of a novelty here, this episode, because it's the first DIA internal episode, because beforehand we mainly had discussions with external people, also kind of interviews with our members. But today it's really just the three of us of the DIA core team. And the goal of today is quite clear. We want to look back to 2021. So what happened around digital money, right? The, the year is almost uh, almost done, almost at the end. But we also want to give an outlook about what to expect next year. And here we basically focus on two things. First, we focus on the DEA development and an outlook, but also on a general outlook around digital money, what happens, what were our happened, what were our highlights, and what are the main kind of predictions or forecasts um, we want to uh, kind of give out and discuss um, also here. Yeah, to maybe first take a look at the Digital Euro Association, I think 2021 was a very, very successful year. So I basically could not have envisioned such a successful year beforehand. So before 2021, we basically had a pitch deck, we had a homepage, we had two social media accounts, a few followers, and we mainly worked conceptually. We also had 120 uh, fellows and experts already, which of course is quite good. So our community already had some uh, size. But today um, the situation is, is kind of different. So the Digital Euro Association has grown to one of the largest European think tanks around digital money. So we have currently approximately 320 individual members. So I'm up from the 120 we had at the beginning of the year. We also have approximately 30 institutional members, so companies, think tanks, associations that decided to join us. So in, in total, the community consists of a network of 350 individuals and companies. And here also mainly want to thank our supporting members. Without um, them, it wouldn't have been possible to have such a successful year, which is uh, C-Labs, the Bundesdruckerei and also the Frankfurt School um, Blockchain Center. But besides the sheer, sheer, sheer uh, kind of size of the community, I'm also very happy that we have a very active community. So we kind of have established a WhatsApp group with um, our members for kind of daily discussions. And it's great to see that, um, yeah, there's really lots of traffic going on and lots of really good and valuable discussions that are taking place. So the DEA has kind of developed to a voice um, in the last year to which private sector and also public sector entities turn to. So we have central banks participating in our events, but also lots of private sector entities, both from the kind of crypto sector, if you want, blockchain industry, but also from the conventional financial sector, which is, I guess, really key because we want to bring all these two kind of sectors together, right? So we kind of want to be in the middle and also want to outline which role both sectors and innovations and, and technologies can basically take place. 
And I think um, one of the highlights was definitely that also the European Central Bank has us kind of on the radar and has also invited us to participate in the ECB's forum on um, banking supervision a few months ago. Um, and yeah, um, this is, I, I think, the most important effects about the DEA. And I'm also very, very happy that we basically uh, hired uh, two executive directors with Conrad being um, one of them. And also that we started kind of very exciting things such as the DIA podcast. Maybe turning, turning on to you, um, Manuel and Conrad, what was kind of your um, bottom line of the developments we had with the Digital Euro Association so for the 2021 year? So when I, when I think back, um, back in 2020, we had the idea of founding this uh, NGO here, this DIA. And uh, it was all conceptual, as you said. Uh, we were planning how to do it, and we uh, didn't know exactly how to do it. Um, and then in 21, it basically kicked off. Um, and I'm, I'm super happy to see how it all went and how um, active the community has also become. And also, and uh, I find this quite interesting uh, and um, yeah, great to see that also people are actually contacting me and uh, others obviously asking what is this DEHA thing and uh, how can we join and uh, it's so interesting what you discuss so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to see how the DEHA has evolved into uh, one of the um, NGOs that basically push this topic. Yeah, I fully, fully agree because this was mainly that so many people now contact us, right? So really come, come to us saying what we are doing and we want to partner somehow. Um, and this is really great to see that kind of, as you said, Manuel, the idea we had like two years ago or maybe one and a half years ago in mind that this is kind of put into, into practice and also to have like um, great people on board additionally. Um, yeah, like uh, Conrad, for example. Yeah, and I think just from my side... Um obviously having just recently joined but i can already see the the exponential growth that's taking place just in the short six weeks that i've been here um also pretty excited to see what we have lined up for next uh, for next year don't want to give too much away but um you know it's been it's been a really exciting uh, time just being here and also looking at some of the metrics um from a year-on-year -year growth um, very, very uh, encouraging, and I think it can only grow in um, in popularity, but also in um, in terms of just how important the deer is in term with regards to the entire digital euro development. Um, so yeah, really excited to be part of the team as well, and um, I can only imagine how you feel based <laughs> on on where we, how far we've come already. Yeah. And the great thing I think about DEA is actually that we, as you already mentioned, Jonas, that we combine these two worlds, so the public and the private sector. Um, so it's not only um, CBDC talk, it's not only stablecoin talk. We try to really bring the two sides together. And this is something that um, I receive as a very positive feedback as well from the uh, community outside um, that we basically are interested in, in everything that is happening around um, bringing uh, the, the, the euro into a new form factor. Um, and that is something that I really like about the deal. 
Yeah, for sure. And I think it's also it worked out pretty well that we use different uh, kind of channels for this. So also the podcast, for example, this format we started in September this year. We published um, episodes like reliably every two weeks. And we have already published 12 episodes. So today is, is number 13. And here also for this format, um, yeah, I would like to know, Manuel, you said, said that the role of the private and public sector is really important in all this discussion around digital money, right? So what was personally your favorite episode um, we, are, we, we are from the currently existing DEA podcast? So Manuel, what was your main, main one, your most important one, maybe your interesting one? So for me, um, I mean, I was part of it. <laughs> Maybe that's one reason about it, but uh, not, not too much, actually. No, uh, for me, it was uh, episode 10, where we had Tony McLaughlin from Citibank. Uh, it was uh, called Private Sector and the Digital Euro. So we have this, um, let's say, series where we discuss um, interesting um, projects from the private sector around the digital euro. And it was about the regulated internet of value or the um, regulated liability network. Uh, it's a concept of Tony McLaughlin from Citibank. And um, I find the idea of a, of a regulated liability network that he proposes very intuitive and wonder why no uh, more uh, energy flows into finding ways of using commercial bank money on blockchains. Um, as commercial bank money is really the, the largest form of money there is, uh, the major form of money we use today, and CBDCs and also stablecoins are both different kinds of money. Uh, they're backed very, very differently um, when you compare it to commercial bank money. So I found it very interesting, and this is also maybe one of the highlights for me uh, of this year, um, how um, you, know, you could use blockchain technology to transfer commercial bank deposits. Um, so that was, that was my uh, favorite episode here. Cool. Yeah, this was definitely an interesting one. Um, Conrad, which episode did you consider most interesting? Um, well, having listened through some of them, um, the one I found most interesting was episode seven. Um, that was Digital Currencies Beyond Borders. And um, I particularly enjoyed uh, Dr. John Frost's uh, who's a you know assessment of some of the interoperability or cross-border models that exist. Uh, Dr. Frost, of course, is the senior economist um, at the Bank of International Settlements. And um, so some of the models he described, like the M-Bridge model, um, I thought that was quite fascinating, uh, just with respect to the level of organization collaboration that's required between different jurisdictions to facilitate some of these inter or cross-border payments systems and architecture so i also enjoyed you know the um the discussion around the risks because often these uh, you know in, when implementing these new technologies um they're often framed around the benefits solely and i think it's also good to bear in mind what the risks are uh, such that we aren't you know implementing things with blinkers on uh, so I, I think it gave a good balance to the actual discussion uh, from a more realistic perspective, uh, you know, um, and also perhaps also a little bit more uh, germane to my experience is that I've, I've personally had um, issues 
and experience the pain that uh, is associated with cross-border payments. You know, obviously uh, originating from a, a developing country, um, I'm, 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 I'm intimately acquainted with uh, the pain point and just the corrosive effect that the high fees have uh, on, on value transfers. Uh, and Conrad, I mean, we did kind of a cross-border payments a few weeks ago, and this was really horrible from a yeah. fee perspective, right? Yeah, it's actually a nightmare. Um, and also the lead time, you know. Um, uh, sometimes we don't realize just how long it takes. Uh, obviously, different vendors, um, you know, claim different, uh, you know, transfer times. But um, sometimes you wonder, you know, I, I think there's also an anxiety that's associated with, wait, with waiting for a payment to, to, to clear, you know, yeah. and that's, that's often not spoken about when we talk about transfer times. So, uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, speedier transfer times and, and lower transfer fees is just going to make the world a better place and uh, I look forward to it. Yeah, and I think the two episodes you brought, Emmanuel and Conrad, actually also show the variety what digital money means and what the use cases, for example, are, right? So it can really be remittances, cross-border payments, maybe in this context also financial inclusion, but it can also, what you said, Manuel, basically kind of leveraging blockchain technology, which is, of course, a completely different discussion uh, than um, having like uh, remittances fees um, kind of lowered in the end, right? And I'm an episode I thought would or I would consider very interesting, but here again, as Manuel, I'm kind of biased because I was also part of it. Um, but this was episode nine, where um, which, which was titled "Will Central Bank Digital Currencies Enable Anonymous Payments?" So this was an, um, a kind of episode with uh, Thomas Moser from the Swiss National Bank and Wolfram Seidemann from Giseki and Devrient, a company that uh, develops um, CBDC solutions from a technical perspective. And I think it was mainly interesting for two reasons. So first, anonymity and privacy, is, I think, is really key because we kind of in this current digital world, we kind of, I think, have kind of lost like the main meaning of privacy. So we can transact with cash anonymously and anonymously. But if we pay via bank account or via um, some other means of payment, credit card, I mean, it's not private at all, right? And I think CBDCs are kind of a chance now to get privacy kind of back in the digital world with having a means of payment that is truly private. And this is why I think this is a really crucial dimension of a CBDC. And like the second reason why I thought this episode was, was really uh, kind of good was also from a content perspective that it was really diverse. So we had like the central bank views. Um, I also, together with uh, Thomas Moser, presented two concrete proposals, how you can implement this. So not just a theory, but, but also showing how to do this in practice. Um, and this is why I really liked this episode. But also here, I think what's kind of, uh, one, of go one goal of this podcast is really to have different people, different ideas and also different use cases and benefits and also risks, as Conrad said, of this digital money discussed and then also be kind of a think tank that in the end, um, yeah, kind of has the goal to also support the, the, the role of the euro, right? So that it's not kind of marginalized and driven out in the next decades, but also has mm. like maintains or strengthens the, um, its position um, in the worldwide kind of currency um, mm. market. Right. So is there something um, we should add to the podcast or um, are we are we happy about the internal DR um, review mm -hmm. we just made? I mean, it shows clearly, as you already stated, that we have completely different uh, views on, on how to, you know, 
bring the euro into a digital form factor. Um, so blockchain-based, um, a digital euro from the central bank that might have uh, additional or further strengthen, strengthened uh, anonymity features or privacy features, um, but also how to you know, enable better cross-border payments. Um, maybe a fourth dimension would also be the wholesale uh, segment, uh, which I think we will also um, have or that we all already have in, in one of the podcast um, episodes, right? Um, so clearly there are different forms of the digital euro and uh, different uh, use cases for a digital euro. And I think that is uh, perfectly depicted here in the different podcast series. Yeah. yeah. If I could just jump in there, I think that's a good point. Um, you know, outside of, and let me just add to that, outside of the importance of different use cases, I think it's clear that we need to get as many voices involved in discussing what uh, a digital euro could mean for different sectors of an of of a, of a country or, and economy. Uh, it's 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 important that we get as a very diverse uh, perspective, uh, such that because we know that money touches everybody, mm-hmm. um, and it's important that we ensure that everybody's. Um, viewpoints and pain points are considered in 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 its development yeah yeah for sure and this is also what we what we aim for with formats like like that um and maybe to to proceed take a kind of a, um, a step back and a more high level perspective and now um, kind of come from the dea kind of um, look back to the year 2021 now to kind of external development. So I think this was this year was really exciting about digital money and digital euro. And I would personally say that this was like the most dynamical year yet in the sphere yeah. around uh, digital money. I mean, of course, we are quite early, but still, I think it uh, kind of broke every kind of records when it comes to awareness. Um, and what we basically did or do now is we discuss like our key developments for 2021 around digital money. Um, so everybody kind of brought um, his kind of key event of this year, mm-hmm. which was really a true milestone and a really important event or a development. It doesn't have to be an event. And here maybe again, turning to you, Manuel, first, which kind of development or event did you bring um, with, uh, with you today to this table to discuss? Yeah, uh, happy to do that. So for me, it was basically a development um, that f- seems to have started this year. And that is, uh, I already mentioned it, um, the development of bringing commercial bank money, so bank deposits on a blockchain and finding ways of how to transfer these deposits um, via blockchains. So uh, there was a very, very interesting report from the Banking Association of all German banks, actually, which proposed such a design model of a a commercial bank money token. And um, it proposed three different design principles, how such a token could be designed. And I found it very interesting. I was um, um, reading it with high interest. And it seems to me that this was basically one of the first, um, you know, design principles that uh, came up that described basically how you could design such a token, right? Because the problem is that you have uh, certain liabilities of uh, individual commercial banks. And usually in the current monetary system, these cannot be transferred uh, to other different types of banks, right? And this problem 
needs to be solved. And uh, in this paper, you find three different ways of how to solve this issue. And then uh, actually a couple of weeks later, uh, Citibank, um, so I already mentioned Tony McLaughlin, um, he, come up, he came up with a, a paper that was called the Regulated Liability Network or the um, Regulated Internet of Value. And that basically also included commercial bank money on chain. Um, so uh, just a couple of days ago, uh, they also had a, a very, very interesting call with Amazon Web Services, AWS, with, with Swift and some other uh, commercial banks. Um, and they showed how uh, their blockchain, which was designed by Settle and which was developed by Settle, a fintech company, uh, could actually... Um, be used for um, bringing digital assets and uh, digital money into the capital market and into the regulated sphere of um, money that we obviously operate in. Um, so that was, for me, very, very interesting because what you have seen in the last years is a lot of talks about CBDC, a lot of expectations around CBDC, uh, and then you have a clear development around stable coins, which I am quite sure we will talk about uh, quite soon. Um, and these these different forms are basically new forms of money, right? Uh, so stable coins could be um, um, e-money um, because this is how they are regulated or will be regulated in the EU. Um, so we already know this uh, factor or this form factor or this, this form of money, right? Uh, but still, currently, it, it plays a, a minor role in the monetary system, right? Um, E-money not, has not a high percentage of money that is used as actually yeah. uh, transaction means, right? And um, the biggest part is commercial bank money. So I'm very curious on what 22 will bring around the development of uh, commercial bank money on chain, right? Yeah, thanks, Manuel. And I think this report was really a key a milestone and also reached, um, yeah, across borders, let's say, from a German or European perspective. So as this uh, and the translation of the report was is also available in English, we will add this to our show notes that this article was also discussed in like um, in Spain or also in the US or so outside the euro area. So I think this is really a great development um, and I think also great potential. But here, Manuel, I guess, This is also something which will be, of course, very important for the future, but this is nothing for the short term, right? So do you have like a guess or a feeling when we might see such solutions live? Um, I think there are two factors that limit it from going live quite soon. Uh, this is basically a technical perspective because you need to settle these liabilities and um, uh, claims that occur in the uh, banking system. And if you want to settle it, you either need a bridge from the blockchain to the current monetary system, or you need a, a wholesale CBDC, let's say, right? And both are not there yet in a um, scalable way, right? Um, so this is this is something that lacks so the technological uh, perspective. But then also it only makes sense if a lot of banks actually participate and want to use it and want to bring out this new form of money, right? Um, so there is still a lot um, ahead of the banking sector, I would say, to promote this vision of a new form factor of commercial bank money, actually. Uh, and this is something that 
the sector now also wants to work on in 22. So bring this idea of uh, a commercial bank money token um, to a lot of uh, more banks and uh, to a wider range of banks. Um, so I would definitely agree. It's not something for the short term, but more to the mid or long term. Okay, but really interesting and definitely um, there will be, again, quite interesting developments next year, I'm, I'm, I'm very sure. Yeah. Thanks, Manuel. So this was definitely an important development, kind of first concepts to bring commercial bank money um, on chain and leverage the advantages of blockchain technology in this context. Uh, turning next to you, Conrad, what was kind of your key event or key development from last, uh, last year? <laughs> yeah, well, the year that was, uh, it's, we've only got like two weeks left. Uh, yeah, I think for me, uh, the launch of the Digital Euro project was a, was quite a key uh, landmark um, development. Um, you know, the ECB launched uh, an investigation phase into the Digital Euro project, you know, really indicating the, the direction in which they're looking at uh, and the seriousness of uh, the implementation of it, uh, I would think. Um, so just some, some key points on that, you know, the they've got 24 it's, the investigation phase is set to last about 24 months um, looking at uh, key issues regarding the design and distribution of a, a digital euro um, I think also quite interestingly and quite appropriately um, they're going to be including citizens, merchants and, and, and the payment industry um, you know, in this in this phase, this um, investigation phase, um, and obviously in signaling that they are key uh, keen on ensuring that the design choices uh, meet the the needs of the users of uh, the digital euro, um, which is also where we come in. Uh, shameless oh, yeah. plug, uh, you know, <laughs> ensure, <laughs> ensuring that uh, the citizenry is 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 aware, is educated in terms of uh, the the impact of, of CBDCs, uh, might that the what the impact of CBDCs might have. So yeah, um, they're also going to be looking at uh, you know the EU legislative framework, what that might. Uh, look like with the implementation of a CBDC and what changes may need to be made. Um, yeah, and then also just trying to avoid the risks. So that's part of the mandate. Uh, so yeah, really keen on seeing what the next 24 months have in store. Um, I think it's less than 24 months now, but uh, yeah, probably just like 20 months or so left. But uh, be very interesting to see what 2023 holds. Um, for you know the the end of this investigation uh, phase um so yeah that's basically that, that, that was one of the events i felt was quite a landmark uh, development towards the implementation of uh, digital euro yeah and i think this was really one of the milestones to also get like the kind of goal from an ECB perspective, even if it does not mean, of course, as you said, Conrad, that the digital euro will indeed come, right? This is something which will be determined within the investigation period. But now at least there has been a project started. So serious efforts um, and budget is also going into this project. So um, I fully agree. This is an event we, we should not have missed in, in such, an, uh, such a kind of episode where we look back because this was really key. And um, I think also what we as a DEA as a community can do is also contribute on this design dimension. So to provide 
impulses via events or also some research to see like um, which which requirements a digital euro should have, which use cases, because this is something which is currently heavily discussed because it is not for me, it's not fully clear. Um, and I think for central banks as well, what the indeed use case will be and which kind of uh, design dimensions are important for this. So I, I fully agree. I think this was a really um, important milestone within the last year. And Conrad, you already mentioned 2023 um, and what the result will actually be from this investigation phase. And um, I found it very surprising that uh, only recently it was announced that uh, they are planning to bring out uh, some, some type of prototype in 23, right? So uh, not only that they are now um, looking into if and, and how and why a digital euro should be uh, issued, uh, but now they already stated that they want to provide a prototype. So it seems that if this investigation phase um, yeah, was already bringing up a decision to issue such a, a retail CBDC, right? Um, so I'm, now I'm, I'm very excited and, and, and curious how, what this pilot uh, will actually look like, what this prototype will look like. Um, and uh, yeah, obviously 22 will be the basis for the development of this prototype. And I'm quite sure we will read in the media as well about the developments. For sure. Yeah, it will be really interesting. And maybe turning back again to you, Conrad, I think you also brought a kind of second event or development from last year you wanted to share with us, right? Besides the ECB starting a digital euro project. Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> I think also uh, one of the other ones that uh, I think was pretty uh, instrumental uh, and noteworthy, I think would be uh, the European Council reaching an agreement on um, the regulation on markets in crypto assets, uh, MICA. Um, I think that's quite a nice development uh, from, uh, you know, generating uh, some sort of framework that's more, um, you know, relevant to the crypto market because um, we know crypto stable coins or all these payment mechanisms are have some sort of uh, common ground i think in the past we found that uh, the regulation is you know governments have tried to retrofit existing uh, regulation to new um, technological developments and it hasn't been very successful um, so now with this new uh, agreement um, obviously that Mika has brought about um, I think it's going to signal um, you know to innovators that you know they will be able to uh, innovate within a, a regulatory framework that's that's evolved that's developed specifically for this market as well as maybe larger adoption to take place within this in, uh, this uh, sector because of course, uh, many institutions wouldn't be feel comfortable jumping in without a, a, a robust or at least uh, some level of clarity with regards to uh, regulatory matters. So I think this is, is, is quite positive. Uh, I'm just touching on it quite at a high level. Um, the If you'd like a more fleshed out to those listening um, um, view of this uh, development, uh, one of our fellows has actually written a blog post about this. It's actually the latest blog post, so you can check it out. Um, so that'll be uh, good for you guys to have a look uh, to check out. And then if I could just touch on really quickly um, something that's a little bit, 
maybe out of left field here, but also that has a bit of re- uh, quite a bit of relevance. And I think just in terms of outlook, I think everyone has noticed that Facebook has recently rebranded and had a total focus on the metaverse. Um, so uh, if we have a look, Barbados also uh, was the first to establish a an embassy in Decentraland. <laughs> Um, I mean, a lot of people are kind of uh, not understanding what this is, might be all about uh, and see it as quite a gimmick, uh, you know, like a gimmick of sorts. But uh, I think this may in the future be looked at as quite a, 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 a bold and um, forward thinking move. And I'll, 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 I'll tell you why. Um, they've indicated that, you know, they'd like this to be a new mechanism through which or new channel through which e-government services might be accessed, mm-hmm. um, which is quite interesting. Um, they uh, Many people are likening it. Well, actually, f- futurists are likening it to a, a governments having websites in the 90s. So, of course, in the 90s, no one really knew what e-government services were all about. <clears throat> so no one really understood why it was important for a, like a government to have a website. But I think in a few years' time, we may see that Barbados was actually skating to where the puck is going to be uh, and not focusing on where the puck currently is. So I think uh, it raises some interesting questions for digital worlds, payments within those digital worlds, mm-hmm. um, you know, sov- uh, sovereignty, uh, how is that exercise in the digital world? I think these are all questions that will come to the fore in uh, the not too distant future. So, um, yeah, personally, I think uh, kudos to them for taking the leap. Uh, but it's something that I would be keeping my eye on um, just in mm-hmm. general. Yeah, thanks for, for bringing this uh, kind of development um, here today, Conrad, because I think it's really exciting. So, of course, it's not like directly related to the digital euro, but I think it's really an interesting development to see how, I mean, how countries, jurisdictions position themselves within the metaverse, which is like just starting the developments, right? So um, I think this is also also some a topic we should maybe also include in, in our events next year, because this is... This is just exciting as has also so many potential when it comes to, um, to of course, transferring assets, but also then, of course, in the end, you need payments there, right? And here again, this can be then stable coins used or crypto or um, commercial bank money token, right? As, as Manuel outlined, so could be everything. So I'm, I'm really happy to see how this kicks off the next, next years and how this basically changes, um, maybe improves <laughs> all our lives in the end. Absolutely. Cool, yeah, and maybe also turning to the kind of development I bring with me today um, is basically about stablecoins and in particular about fiat-backed stablecoins, so crypto assets that are backed with fiat currencies. And what we've seen last year that the importance of stablecoins has increased substantially. So to put this in, into numbers, we have seen that market capitalization of stablecoins in January of this year was 20 billion US dollars. Now it's more than 150 billion US dollars. Um, trading volume has also kind of clear numbers. So 24 uh, hour trading volume in January was 30 billion US dollars. Now it's 70 billion US dollars. So you see it's a really, really substantial increase in all these numbers that stablecoins become more relevant. We also have seen that first kind of countries have seen that stablecoins can also be a tool to kind of strengthen the own currency, right? Because this is kind of 
the, the fuel, the gas within blockchain um, ecosystems where you can transact with. And this can be kind of all payments because blockchains do not know borders in the end, right? So it could be different mm -hmm. currencies. Um, and this is what we've seen that also regulators go into this space, right? So Conrad, you talked about Mika, which is also about regulating stablecoins or fiat-backed stablecoins in the euro area. The US has started some similar regulatory processes. Um, but um, what is really obvious is that US dollar stablecoins are really kind of the front runners here. So when today we look into the top 20 stablecoins by market capitalization, we currently see on um, position 19, one euro stablecoins. Um, wow. And I think this is mm. a development... Yeah, which is, I think, like, it's good that stablecoins increase in important, but this can really be an, an issue for the euro area if kind of the US dollar dominates this market here, because this could in the end also mean that this leads to the situation that US dollar is like the uh, kind of a default option to pay with in the blockchain world, if you want. So like the tokenized economy of the future, this means that Europe or the euro could be left behind. Um, and here I'm really curious to see what happens with the Mika regulation, which, which could already be, uh, come into force at the end of next year, that this could and I hope would be something to drive basically um, kind of the stablecoin adoption and use in the euro area as well, right? So that we get more stablecoins within top 20 and that the euro kind of Im increases in importance here. But what we also have to bear in mind, and this is a, a kind of a, yeah, I would almost say a deal breaker here, is the negative interest rates in the euro area. And this is also one, one of the key reasons why besides maybe the US dollar is slightly more important than the euro, that these stablecoins are backed by US dollar, because if you issue a stablecoin, a fiat-backed stablecoin, you kind of collect money and you put this money either on a bank account or invest this into govern government bonds, for example, so in, or in, in, in some kind of assets, let's keep it general. Um, and what this means in the US is if you invest, for example, in US government bonds, you have a positive reward, right? So you get money out of investing these, um, this money. But this is different in the euro area because if you if you invest into government bonds in the euro area, you see that you have like negative remuneration for most of them. So this basically means from day one, the issuer makes a loss if he's not kind of getting this somehow back from transaction fees or some other business models. And not just for stable coins, also for having the money put into a bank account, because we know also for banks, we have currently negative interest rates charged by the ECB, right? So even if this rate is not that negative compared to government bonds, it is negative. And this is really a key kind of development and yeah, kind of risk or reason why the euro stable coins are not that important now. And I really hope that this kind of changes because of course the industry cannot do anything with against these negative rates, right? So it's the ECB's territory. Also commission cannot do anything against it with, by regulating it or something. But I really hope to see higher rates here also for the stablecoin industries, because otherwise I, I kind of fear that this could have also negative, even great potentials, but could in the end have negative implications for the euro because the US dollar will be the kind of default option for um, a stablecoin. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, Jonas. I mean, um, that's a good point as, as well. I mean, we don't often think about it. USDT is like like exponentially bigger than the the second biggest uh stable coin uh which is probably like usdc 
um, uh, you know, and that again is a, a USD, uh, USD denoted uh, stable coin. So, um, yeah, I just sometimes we don't think about it, but like I'll maybe just throw this question out to, to both Manuel and yourself. Uh, just I know we probably don't have answers for this. It's just a general one, but I'm just wondering why um, since the beginning of, of stable coins, uh, the USDT uh, or the USD denominated stable coins was, uh, have so far outstripped any other stable coin. Um, it's probably, I don't know, if I think off the top of my head, maybe it's network effects with, uh, with the trading of crypto and that type of thing. Um, but I don't know, any ideas just off the top of your head? What do you guys think? I would second it that it's network effects, obviously, because uh, these were large player players that emerged directly in the beginning. So Tether is already quite old, let's say, uh, already a couple of years old, right? Um, and if there is such a token available, then you probably use it. Also, um, I would say that the US dollar still obviously remains the leading currency and the reserve currency in the world. So everybody really want to get his hands on, on US dollars, right? Uh, not necessarily on other uh, currencies. And also, basically, in the market for um, stablecoins, there is no really such a thing as a, a euro stablecoin. So we have a few players, but the uh, these are marginal um, in comparison to the other ones, right? Um, so if there was maybe a, a stablecoin in the beginning, um, so let's say a, a US or a Euro T, right? So a Euro Tether, uh, then it would have been used. But um, yeah, it's uh, it, 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 it basically you could already say it's history um, that these stable coins have have emerged and uh, are now used because they uh, you can only use what is there, right? Yeah, I fully fully agree with with Manuel here. And what I would maybe add is also, of course, that way more crypto companies are based in the US, right? So that the US is kind of a country that is very innovative, has lots of startups, also means lots of crypto startups. And I think this is also why a really kind of uh, really a lot of different stable coins emerged then. But yeah, we will we will talk about predictions then later on. But um, I think this negative interest rates are currently a really big issue for uh, euro stable coins. Yeah. Cool. So maybe looking looking at the time, let's maybe proceed to to kind of the outlook for next year. So take the next 15 minutes to talk about this. So again, from a DEA perspective, I think, and I hope that 2022 will be very exciting. We will start in January by launching two working groups, namely one on the public digital euro, which is a euro CBDC, and another one, how we label it, the private digital euro, which is a working group focusing on stable coins, also tokenized commercial bank money, what Manuel talked about, right? Um, so this is something all our DEA members can, can participate in. And we also, of course, want to build further partnerships to, to extend our geographical reach. So we have been in, in discussions, which actually I think most of the think tanks um, globally around digital money and kind of see how we can collaborate and also leverage our networks and not just focus and support the discussions in our own jurisdictions, but also um, across borders and other jurisdictions. So this will definitely be one of our key priorities. And besides that, of course, we will 
like try to increase the community also to to establish new formats to get the industry and community involved because i think a really big advantage of the dia is really in the network so that you have great people here so that you can leverage so much knowledge that has been gathered within the last few years within the, the industry and i think um, this is something we will focus on and there are will definitely be some good ways to also get the input from the community and besides that, of course, we will provide impulses for the digital euro. This is one of our core mission, right? So when it comes to CBDC, but also to stable coins um, that we will, and this will what will be what the outputs of the working groups will be focused on. Like, I mean, what could the ECB, for example, now do? Or which use cases would CBDC have? Or how to achieve interoperability? So topics like this, which are important for the central banks and should definitely be in the discussions around digital money. Um, we also want to contribute this by our community and um, also provide impulses here and continue uh, doing this in 2022. Yeah, but again, maybe looking um, outside the DEA. So what I, I would like to do now is kind of to discuss a few like kind of predictions, forecasts, um, kind of estimates maybe to be a little bit more cautious for the next year. Um, and here, I would say we can do this kind of kind of briefly. So could um, could say like what you think will be will be a, a good and a prediction for next year. What will happen? And maybe here um, we start with you, Conrad. So what do you think? What are maybe just name the first? What is one of um, one of your predictions for next year around digital money? Sure. Uh, thanks. I think <clears throat> just off the top, um, I think one event maybe that's uh, upcoming. Not necessarily a prediction because this is definitely uh, going to take place, but it's uh, the um, ECNY uh, launch at the Be uh, Beijing 2022 Games. Um, I think its implementation, um, or at least uh, yeah, yeah, basically implementation at the venues, is going to be something that's uh, going to be interesting. I think all eyes will be on this development. Uh, and its implementation. Uh, I think it's likely to, if it's successfully uh, received, it's likely to put some pressure amongst, uh, potentially, um, amongst other nations to, to develop something similar or at least fast track some of their their trials with respect to CBDCs. Um, so yeah, I think that's something that's going to be pretty uh, interesting to, to take note of, which is just two months down the road. And I think uh, also just something a little bit uh, maybe also related, but uh, potentially um, a little different. Um, I think the the use of NFTs may mature, I think, next year. Um, I think that'll have interesting if, um, implications for the way we do things uh, from a governmental perspective. Uh, you know, instead of just being used as JPEGs being bought for millions, um, I think potentially if you have a look at certifications, title deeds, digital identity, uh, all being included or being used or NFTs being used for these use cases, um, I think it'll be interesting and be interested to see how payments uh, space is also affected by NFTs, uh, a mature NFT that is. So yeah, just, just those two quick points. Yeah, really two different, but I think very interesting predictions for next year. So. I think everybody looks with great caution to, and, and great interest also to the launch of the ECNY in China, right, um, next year, because this project has been tested now for two 
two years the infrastructure is ready and also people of course fear that this could have global effects right if this currency is maybe also open to foreigners which is i think something which is not fully clear to date how this will be will be set up or if maybe also the central bank starts with an kind of currency that is limited for like restricted use for just Chinese people or tourists and maybe um, expands this kind of scheme in the future. But as China is one of the major economies, this is really a great um, and, and interesting project to look at, even if, of course, the, the values and kind of the, the infrastructure and maybe also privacy of this CBDC would and are hopefully uh, implemented differently in the euro area later uh, later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so maybe um, also turning to you, Mado, what are kind of your two um, two predictions for next year? Yeah, so my predictions are basically focusing on, um, you know, the use cases of a digital euro and especially on a blockchain-based digital euro because we've seen a lot of growth, as you already mentioned, in stablecoins and we already see some use cases uh, emerging that uh, are focusing on these stablecoins, namely Uh, DeFi, so decentralized finance, but also maybe now some remittance um, use cases when you think, for example, on WhatsApp and the Paxos USD um, stablecoin, right? Um, but when we when we think about basically use cases that we already know, which namely could be um, use cases in the capital markets, but also use cases in, in industrial companies, right? Uh, we haven't seen too much actually in the in the last years right and uh, my predictions are that we see a lot of developments in these two areas in 22 right so um first one would be the capital markets and because we see that finality which is a startup a financial uh, startup a fintech that wants to provide uh, let's say a synthetic wholesale cbdc they might actually go live uh, with a few currencies so they um only lack um, you know, cooperation from central banks now, which provide them uh, with the uh, accounts on which they could hold the reserves that back their their uh, token, right? Uh, but if um, they get uh, the cooperation or if they have uh, central banks cooperating with them, then we will probably see, uh, and this could happen quite soon actually, um, some synthetic wholesale CBDC, which could be used for digital asset transfers, right? So cash lag, for transferring digital assets between banks in the capital markets. And the other use case I would uh, foresee are industrial companies um, uh, starting to look further into blockchain use cases uh, to use blockchain in their processes. Uh, They would leverage uh, smart contracts to optimize their processes around ordering, billing and paying. And obviously they would need a digital euro for this. And the question now obviously arises, which form factor will it be? Uh, We won't see a CBDC next year or maybe also in 23. Um, We will not see it. So will they use stable coins that already exist? Or will they use some sort of trigger solution that uh, connects the blockchain space with the uh, current um, financial or or payment industry that we see, right? Um, So a lot of open questions, but I would expect that we see some developments in these types of use cases, not only in DeFi and uh, remittances, but also in uh, the capital markets and industrial use cases in uh, industrial companies. 
Yeah, thanks, Manuel. I think looking into the use cases is really, of course, key and also something we as a DIA will do next year to have an event, for example, to really discuss this industrial use cases. Because mm -hmm. what we what we see more and more, and I think this is also something we could have mentioned in like kind of when we talked about the main developments last year is that also more and more central banks look into wholesale CBDCs, right? So to kind of leverage blockchain technology for kind of capital market applications like delivery versus payment mechanisms, etc. But here also for the industry, there is um, tremendous potential from blockchain technology, also programmable payments in the end, right? Um, but here, this hasn't kicked off yet, I would say. But um, I'm also, as, as, you, as you said, Manuel, I agree. I, th I, th I would expect that this kicks off um, quite soon. No. Yeah, I have, I have brought, um, like, again, a few different, uh, different uh, kind of predictions for next year, mainly two. So the first one is about Euro stable coins. This is quite general. I think next year will really be a crucial year for Euro stable coins. So this might be the year where Mika, uh, Mika the regulation, will um, basically be introduced. So it will maybe have like a two years or 18 month period transition period until it's it like is applied for all institutions. But nevertheless, the rules will be specified then next year. And here we, we might see first ideas or first movements if this is indeed a tool, um, a legal tool to get also more companies into the euro area um, related to stable coins, right? So kind of fight, I would say, the US dominance in the stablecoins market, which is, I think, key um, when it comes to currency competition also around these blockchain ecosystems. And my second prediction is a little bit more precise. So I like uh, precise predictions, uh, even if it's, of course, like nobody knows and lots of speculation. But what I would say when we talk about central bank digital currencies next year is that um, there will really be more countries that will introduce CBDCs, right? So for this year, it was mainly two countries that have launched their CBDCs, so the Eastern Caribbean um, and also um, Nigeria, and also a few that launched launched pilots, but also here really just a few. And I, I would now argue that mainly developing and emerging eco economies will basically next year kind of introduce their CBDCs. So I would actually say that um, well, to, to, to have this number, I would say that, uh, that kind of three countries will launch a CBDC. China will definitely be one of them and maybe five countries that will introduce pilots. So I think it will be definitely be more than this year because some have already said that they will release a pilot so soon. And I think developing and emerging economies very often have like more like the, the intermediate, like the kind of immediate need to introduce the CBDCs because it solves a really big issue they have, right? Is it remittances, financial inclusion, um, um, or like high costs of cash, et cetera, which is maybe not that obvious at the beginning here in the euro area or in advanced economies in general. So I think that these countries will step into this direction, will try it out and will also launch a CBDCs then in the next year. I can also imagine that, yeah. Yeah. Cool. I mean, then we should meet then again in one year and see which of which of our predictions <laughs> and kind of estimates has in the end also um, materialized. I think. Yeah. So maybe. Yeah. Sorry. sorry if I could just jump in there. Um, sure. The uh, the emerging markets being more, um, uh, you know, more uh, you know prone to to implementing CBDCs. I think that's an interesting point. Um, I think maybe we should discuss maybe at a later stage also you know what that might do for their positioning in the world uh, having been earlier earlier adopters 
of CBDCs and these technologies um, because, of course, I think CBDC implementation and the the potential benefits we can hypothesize about it, uh, you know, at the at this stage before it's implemented. But I think there may be benefits that are beyond our field of reference, and I think those countries that implement them soonest will probably benefit from them earlier. I'm just wondering what that might hold for such countries. I mean, like Barbados, like you in- indicated. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is something to think about uh, in terms of the balance of powers. Uh, as they are and then post implementation yeah yeah i fully agree and this has i mean severe implications for the whole financial markets if you introduce a cbdc right i mean be it the financial sector also for monetary policy but also what you mentioned about kind of the global currency role right and this is very often also why this chinese chinese um, project is seen as an example because at the end it can if as i said open to to everybody it can change like the, the dominance of specific currencies right and this also of course holds for smaller economies where the currency is maybe not that um, far spread of course a, a country will not say from today to for tomorrow instead of um i don't know the currency in uh, peru I, I oh no instead of the euro i now use this currency for all my exports so i don't believe in that but There are companies probably that are kind of indifferent um, or maybe just slightly in favor of a, advanced, of a kind of um, more important currency maybe. And they could decide because transaction costs are, way, are less with digital currency, right? From phone, just one click to send if, if designed in such a way that they decide to, to, to use this, right? And this could then change kind of the worldwide currency status of, of, yeah, of, of countries, of jurisdictions. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing more of these developments and maybe also first empirical data on this within the last few or within the next years. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great response. Thanks. Cool. Yeah, so looking at the time, <laughs> we, all, we almost talked one hour. Time flies always when we are kind of chatting, the three of us. Um, so maybe to, to kind of wrap this up, if, um, f- for you, of course, thanks for listening to this episode. And if you would like to follow what we are doing with the Digital Euro Association, there are definitely different ways. We will also link them in the show notes. So you can follow us on Twitter, on LinkedIn. We have an, a website and you can also join the DEA as a fellow or an expert. So you can apply and become part of our community and then kind of benefit of like the working groups of the WhatsApp group, um, etc. So Uh, just feel feel free also to reach out to us um, bilaterally and of course if you like the podcast we would be thrilled if you uh, tell your colleagues and friends about it and also give us a good feedback on your kind of podcast player eg for example um, apple podcast yeah so the last thing is actually to thank you uh, manuel and conrad for being uh, being part of this podcast for me it was really a lot of fun to talk about the last year like the day but also about what happened in the space also to have some um, estimates what will happen next year so i will i hope we can do this again and the three of us in one year to see um, how we, we were with our estimates and forecast but it was really a pleasure and thanks um, for the moderation jonas and the preparation um Happy to be on board and happy to uh, also have joined this podcast. Excellent. Likewise, uh, thanks. It was uh, really engaging, uh, really um, inform- informative as well. And uh, looking forward to the year-on-year review next year, uh, 15th of December 2022, um, at all the charts going up and to the right. And also, um, happy holidays to everyone. Uh, in the dear community 
and uh, look forward to touching base with you guys in the new year. Cool. Yeah, thanks for joining. And you too, of course, also a great Christmas time and a great start into 2022. And of course, also I wish to, to all of our listeners to, to get safe into next year. So have some great and hopefully quiet time with, um, with your loved ones um, between the years. And yeah, stay tuned. <laughs> 2022 will be very exciting. And thanks for joining today's episode.